Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, here we go again. Round three. Ding, 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 ding. I guess technically each quote plague should be its own round. But here at the epic narrative, we're combining the first few together to, you know, because we, how could we ever drag things out to just, you know, to, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And Bob's like, please don't try and justify this <laughs> like that. And that's why I did it because it's funny, Bob. It's funny because we drag things out like crazy on the epic narrative. I uh, I heard that uh, one one guy played an episode of uh, season one to a to one of his co-workers at the church, a pastor at the church, and the, the pastor listened to it all, and he came back and said, you know, it's good. He said, but he only dealt with four verses. The guy went forty five minutes on four verses, <laughs> kind of like. <laughs> like any preachers, like you can't get away with that in church. You need, you know, it's 20 minutes. You only get 20 minutes, maybe 30. Anyway, I, I thought it was just a funny reminder that yes. And my producer reminded me that's why we have this platform. Podcast platform is really perfect for what we do because you don't have to listen to the whole thing. You can listen to it in pieces. You can listen to it at your pace. Some of you binge it. Uh, somebody told me they were listening. Yeah, they were listening to season two. Uh, they they had like a weekend where they were doing a project at their house. And their kids and wife were out of town. And they were just going to basically do this construction remodel uh, in the weekend. So they decided to have me in the background, which I actually thought was actually a pretty good environment. Like you're just working alone. Uh, and there's just a guy droning on and on with a, <laughs> with a Bible story in the background. And he said it was perfect. And I think he got through, I don't know, it might've been like 15 episodes in the weekend, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but that was all we had. So he was done with the project, but he's, he was so like conditioned at that point. He was like, now I need you to like release the next 15 episodes. Like I can't, I can't listen to him one a week at this point, which is fine. He actually, he actually told me it worked out better for him uh, to wait until he had enough time to listen to three or four at a time because that's the way he liked to, he'd like to um, listen, listen. I like to devour, and he liked to gulp it down rather than rather than weekly sips, weekly weekly bites of the story. All right, I don't know why I had to go British on that one. Anyways, we're in chapter eight. Verse one. Now remember when we start this, uh, Pharaoh and really all Egyptians would have been aware of this at this point, but we'll just, you know, Pharaoh's perspective is this is a, a nation of immigrants. He knows their history, right? Egyptians understood history. They were taught by, by the well-educated people from around the world, from regions, right? They understood perspectives that came from multiple nations and regions around the known world. So they would have been aware of the history of the, of the Hebrews. They would have been aware that these Israelites don't have a homeland and that they originated with this father 
Abraham out of Babylon, way back under Nimrod, and that their current leader, right, had been exiled for 40 years by a previous pharaoh. Like he had a death warrant on him. And they don't care about it because to them it was it's irrelevant at this point. Like they they whatever. They just don't even hardly remember it. But he, he's aware of it. The pharaoh's aware that this immigrant nation who was led by by this father Abraham, who whose father had worked for Nimrod, but they you know ran away from Nimrod. They they never fulfilled their duties. And and Nimrod, as as you know, if you were here for season two, you know Nimrod made an attempt to go after Abraham, uh, Abraham when, when he uh, kidnapped him and his coalition, kidnapped Lot, specifically kept him alive because they wanted Abraham to come after them. Like it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting mix and they would have been at least passively aware of all these little details. Like there's nothing about the nation of Israelites that make them compelling to negotiate any sort of trade deal with, any sort of um, resource deal with. Like there's, they have nothing unless the Egyptians let them live like this. It's got to be so maddening to the Pharaoh to sit here and think they're, they're asking me for a week off. Do they realize that the land they live on belongs to me, that their housing belongs to me, that their lives belong to that They can't live without me. What are they doing demanding a, a week off? And then, he, you know, he's, he's starting to, to at least be aware of the fact that this God that they claim to follow at least has some power. He's at least got to acknowledge, fine, he can call, you know, he can make sticks into snakes, my guys can do that. He can make blood into water into blood. My guys can do that. Fine. He's got he's got something. Fine. Still not still ain't me. And then they, then their current leader right had had been exiled for forty years, and now you know he's trying to lead a, some sort of re, religious rebellion trying to prove that his God is bigger than our gods. Well, we've had our gods for a long time. These guys, you know, as a nation, as a, they're only like 400 years old, maybe 450 years old. Like, it's, they're not that old. And, and we've been around for hundreds of years before them. And we've at least had our land, and we've, we have experience, and we have gods that we can trust who haven't, you know, sent us into exile or or made us slave nations. He sees this as a physical challenge to his leadership because, because the Hebrews, you know, have tried, you know, in his mind, they tried to rule the nation before under Joseph, and they couldn't do it. And who's this, he, you know, who's this guy? Does he think if he asks for a week off and I give it to him, then his people are going to be happy and be quiet? No, they're going to ask me for a week off every month. And then they're going to ask me to never work again like that. No, I'm not taking, I'm not taking this. And even if I wanted to, the economist in my, in my, you know, advisory board or whatever, they would go, they would freak out. I mean, I, you know, you, you and I can just remember again, the, the COVID shutdowns and the, the economic disasters that that caused all over our nation. Now, I, whether or not you agreed with them or not, you, you do understand that there are 
thousands of businesses that never could recover. They never reopened it. Even, even with, quote, the free money from the government, which, of course, the government has no money. It comes from us. But that's another whole deal that is never a part of what we do here. But we could apply it. So as, you know, his economic, economic team would have been like, no, 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 no. Listen, if you take the vast majority of our workforce and you and they disappear, let's just let's just pretend that they're not going to also never come back. Let's just pretend that after a slave nation gets a taste of freedom, they're going to be okay coming back into slavery and being beaten again. But let's just pretend that psychologically we can maintain some level of authority over the top of them. Do you have any idea what that would do to our nation's economics? And they would tell them, tell the Pharaoh what it would do to the nation economically. So Pharaoh's got all that going on. And, and, and I know sometimes, mostly probably because they only have 20 minutes or 40 minutes at the most to make a, their point, we don't get into all the layers of stuff that Pharaoh considers. We just create him in some sort of almost antichrist or demonically empowered being and he just you know rallies himself against Moses and against God and he's and maybe there's some truth to the arrogant arrogant uh, bravado bravado of of his life I don't know but he he had more than just one one stream of thought when it came to why he can't let this happen so Moses goes to Pharaoh again. At the end of the last chapter, it says seven days later. So a week after he turned the Nile into blood, the Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, say to him, this is what my Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them, I, let them go, I will send a plague of frogs upon the whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs and they will come up into your palace and your houses of your officials and your people and into the ovens and kneading troughs. And the frogs will come up on you and your people and all of your officials. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the, over the streams and the canals and the ponds and make the frogs come upon the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched out his hand over the, over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret art and they also made frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh summoned the Moses and Aaron and said, pray that the Lord will take these frogs from me and my people and I will let you go and do your sacrifices to the Lord. Now Moses said to Pharaoh, I will leave it to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and the people and you and your houses to be rid of the frogs that accept that those that remain in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. And Moses said, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God and the frogs will leave you and your houses and your officials and your people in the streams only in the Nile. They will remain only in the Nile. And after this, Moses left Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh. Moses cried out to the Lord the next day for the, about the frogs that he had brought to Pharaoh. And the Lord said, did what Moses asked. And the frogs died in the houses and the courtyards and the fields. And they were piled into heaps in the lands and the, it reeked of them. And Moses saw that there was relief. Or Pharaoh saw that there was relief. And he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord said. Whoo! That's the first 15 verses of chapter 8, just in case you are taking notes at home. I read them all at once because it is, it's kind of, it's all one story, but we're going to break it down, kind of go through it 
and uh, periodically probably refer back to the, the those verses if I remember. So Moses goes to Pharaoh again, as the Lord commanded. Now, I find it awesome that Moses waits for the Lord to send him. So many people don't understand timing. And I think if nothing else, Moses figured this out. Last time he was in Egypt and he thought he had an opportunity to create a place where the Hebrews would follow him and the, he could influence the nation of Egypt as well and bring the two together and they could all worship Yahweh, all that sort of thing. Right, the timing was off. His, his power play was fully generated from the mindset that he had been trained in in the Egyptian um, schooling. So everything was a little off. At least on this round, he's going only when God tells him to go. Some of that, I think, has to do with his lack of confidence and, and the fact that he did screw up so bad at one time. In another way, it speaks to the relationship that he's developing with God and that he's really becoming somebody who God confides in and interacts with. And he's understanding that God is a God who likes to talk. God is a God who likes to be friends. God is a God who wants to interact with his people. And this is the God that Moses needs to teach the Israelites is true, the true God, Yahweh, the name of God, the one that you breathe in and out the one that is Jesus, like it's it's all contained in this word. It's not a simple, as much as it is, a, you know, f- f- simple symbols of the Hebrew uh, uh, language, it's filled with meaning. So, so he's learning about God as he goes through this as well, as anybody does. When you walk in your calling, you don't know everything. You're just willing to take the next step you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know how it's going to go. You just know when it's time. And I can't tell you how you're going to know because everybody knows differently. The Lord confirms things to me differently than he confirms things to my wife, differently than he confirms things to my my any one of my three sons or my daughter or their spouses. And he'll it's just it's just the journey. God's always about the the relational connection uh, and the journey that that you know, entails with the person. And this is true for Moses as well. He's walking this out. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he asks for an opportunity to go worship. I find it interesting that on this round, he lets him know the frogs are next. This is what's coming. Tell him, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to expose the frog God. I'm going to let you truly see how this darkness is covering your land and how this is not like it's not he's not a good god again god's not causing death with this with this exposure and and on the flip side what does the enemy always try and do he takes the opportunity the opportunities that god's giving you and he wants to accelerate them so that you blame God for them. The enemy loves it. He loves it when he can when he can take something that he's responsible for and give God the blame because that gives you a skewed vision of who God is. And so many people look at these plagues and they look at and they blame it all on God and they say, "See, God is going to send a plague upon you 
if you continue to harden your heart against him. I, I, I've preached those messages. I've heard those messages. And they're powerful messages. And they will manipulate and make you change your behavior. It is a, it is a very dramatic time to sit there and realize that that's all-powerful God will send plagues on you if you refuse and continue to harden your heart against the call that he's put on your life. And that's what that was the, the manipulative uh, approach that so many preachers have to these passages. I don't think that these that's what these passages are designed to do. They're designed to say, listen, every time, whatever you give access to the enemy, his goal is to do bad things. Watch. I'll put some light on the situation. The enemy is going to take advantage. You think that God's causing this, and he's not. If nothing else, he's been holding back the plagues from, a, from coming to Egypt because he loves his people. And he says, for the sake of them, I will, I'm going to you know, not let this be exposed. But now, for the sake of them, I'm going to lift this protection and let the enemy have his way. Just so that you see what's going on here. He the enemy does not have good plans for you. He never has good plans for you. It's he's always seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his goal. The enemy wants to destroy the economic balance of Egypt. He wants to destroy the leadership of, of Egypt. He wants them to die. He likes that. He gets more empowered by that. So he tells them the frogs are coming. The frogs are coming. The frogs are coming. Now, uh, why he wants them to know, I don't know. He just wants them to know. I mean, I, I have some theories. You already heard those. He lets them know, listen, it's not just going to be a few of them. It's going to be It's going to be freakish how many of these frogs are showing up. Freakish. So Pharaoh lets it, lets it happen. Why? I mean, if I knew that frogs were coming by the billions, why would I let it happen? I mean, honestly, let's think about that. I, I think it's pretty clear. He's thinking, frogs? I mean, how bad could it be? And so far, Moses, you're no more magical than anybody I have on staff. Your God is no more powerful than any other God I worship. And as far as I can tell, I'm still more powerful than you are. So guess who wins? I still win. I think that I think Pharaoh's starting to starting to see himself as like, all right, fine. You want you want a competition? I'll you know I'll crush you. Do you have any idea who you're messing with? Why? Because arrogance and pride go hand in hand, and they create this persona that says, I you know I I'm going to win. I don't care I don't care what it takes. So I think, I think, you know, Pharaoh has a lot of that going on. He has a lot of that going on, and he he's looking at, uh, at well, whatever. He's looking, sorry, I got a, <laughs> between you and me, I got a text message while I was talking, and I ended up trying to read it, and I can't read it and tell the story at the same time. So here we are, back to the story. I'm not going to read it till later. Uh, so I don't think he's afraid. I think he's actually kind of challenged in an arrogant way. Uh, so when these things crawled up out of the, out of the Nile, they were relentless. 
some legends say that that if you killed it, if you killed one, it multiplied. And, you know, one of the best scenes I remember of the multiplication mindset uh, is that one out of uh, whether or not you like Disney or not is another whole issue. But the Disney movie Hercules, right? <laughs> one, the music is off the charts because it's gospel music, gospel, happy gospel music. And I love that kind of music. And so I loved the, all the all the music to Hercules. But when, he's, when he takes on that first being and he chops the head and grows into two more heads and then he chops it and chops it and then he keeps chopping off these heads and the beast keeps going and and his coach is screaming at him stop the whole head chopping thing because obviously it wasn't working so that some some say some say that that that's what would happen as these things started crawling up out of the nile by the billions and all of the creeks remember aaron would would wave his his uh, rod over the creeks and over the uh, irrigation ditches and over the over the what like frogs anywhere where there was water frogs were crawling out of it and if you tried to kill them they multiplied more so you're trying not to kill them but you are killing them and you're trying not to make things worse because you keep making things worse like I'm sure that it was a night it's a nightmare I mean, the noise would be incredible. I don't know if I have. I don't know if you have. But if you've ever been around a swampy area, I don't care if it's Florida or Mississippi or Louisiana. If you've been around a swampy area, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, I've been around a lot of swamps, a lot of a lot of lakes, ponds. And if they're filled with frogs, man, it is loud. It's freakishly loud. Do you think these are frogs? These are frogs. Sometimes you got the little peepers. I mean, the peepers that, you know, when they're in season, you're literally driving, at least I, I would be, we're driving down the road, windows up, but you still hear them. Like, they're over the sound of the car coming through your window, and you hear them, and you think, man, there's got to be a million of them in that little pond right there, or that little puddle, or whatever. It, it's crazy. So the noise had to be insane. The annoyance of them... Uh, was was beyond comprehension. And, of course, there had to be some health issues just because they covered you. They covered where you slept. They covered you when you slept. They covered, you know, they would crawl all over your bodies. You couldn't go to the bathroom in peace. You couldn't shut them out. It, it was, it was, it was horrific. It was, it was a nightmare. I mean, I don't care where you try to go to the bathroom. If you, even if you're a guy and you're, like, standing by a tree or you run out to some sand dune, like they just kept coming. I'm guessing some people got, you know, on their horses and just rode for miles. Like there had to be some people that were that were starting to think, I, I did, like this place is crazy. Like this country's, this, this country, something ain't right. Right? The water all turned to blood last week. This week I got frogs crawling. No, like, well, let's just pack up. I can't pack up. There's frogs in the dresser. There's frogs on the bed. There's frogs in the suitcase. Like, where, what do you mean pack up? Well, let's just get in the cart. What are we going to sit on? There's frogs all over the cart. There's frogs all over the horses. There's frogs. Like, what do, you, what do you want us to do? I mean, honestly, it was crazy. It was crazy time. And the magicians did the same thing. Now, I don't know how you could tell the magicians were doing the same thing because theoretically all the frogs crawled out, but maybe they didn't crawl out continuously. Maybe they crawled out until they covered the land. And so the magicians squished and squawked their way down to the Nile and did the same thing. They they caused uh, 
frogs to come up out of the water. Now, where where did this is this all demon powered stuff? Like like you wonder. I wonder. Is this demon powered stuff or is it more along the lines of this that the magicians and the wise men and the sorcerers had eyewitness accounts that went all the way back to creation. It wasn't that long ago, right? Maybe a few thousand years. They had they had probably written written resources that would have been almost firsthand accounts. Not that they believed in that God, but they would have understood that there was there were people who who worked with the frequencies of creation. They understood how to chant or mimic frequencies of creation that would that would shift molecules and and move them in such a way that it would in essence remodel the molecules into something else. I'm not saying demons weren't involved because I, I know some people are already thinking this is Bob this is the devil. I know. Okay, fine. That's yeah, fine. I'm trying to present to you another what if scenario. What if it wasn't necessarily that the demons gave the power, but the demons gave the knowledge of how to work with the frequencies of creation, the way the molecules move. We know that molecules are always moving. We know that theoretically solid, not theoretically, but scientifically solid objects are not actually solid. That if you can determine their frequency, they will break apart into another form. So maybe, maybe they understood what that was. Maybe that's what their rods were. And the water and the frogs. They made them all form into other parts of creation because they were all part of the frequencies of creation. And they're all tied back to the creator. And they made the frogs come up and made them multiply exponentially. But what they couldn't do... Let's just let's just go there. Now now that now that I've given you something to think about, what they couldn't do is they couldn't stop what Moses and his God were doing, right? When Moses's rod or Aaron's rod turned into a snake, they couldn't stop that snake. As a matter of fact, that snake ate theirs. They understood that. When they when Moses uh, Aaron's rod, Moses and Aaron turned the water into blood, they couldn't unturn it into blood. They had to wait for the river to cleanse itself. They couldn't stop what was happening. They could mimic it, which totally sounds like the enemy to me. The enemy can't create, but he can imitate. Glory. The enemy can't create, but he can imitate. Let me hear you say it, man. Uh, so, verse 8. Pharaoh asks for relief. He's like, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away for me and my people, and I will let you go sacrifice. He, he's like, okay, this is insane. Like, it's this is not only annoying, this is really impacting economically. Nothing can get done. Fine. You know, I'll, I'll submit. I'll let you go. But, but do what I tell you to do. You pray, and you tell it to stop. And Moses does something interesting here. He's like, I leave it to you 
the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frauds except for those that remain in the Nile. Interestingly, that that Moses would do this. Why would he do this? I think he's doing this because he wants to show Pharaoh that this is no trick of mine. I don't decide what's coming. I just release what the Lord wants me to release. And I don't decide when it ends. It's not up to me. It's I'm going to leave this one up to you. You want it to end, you tell me when to pray. I don't want you to think that this is some sort of coincidence. Like it just so happened that Moses prayed and the frogs ended. No, I want I want you to get involved in this. Again, I believe this is another on-ramp for, for Pharaoh to interact with, with heaven, to interact with God, to say, okay, let me test this God out. Let me see what's going on here. I'm I'm like freaking out at how these frogs are, but but I have a chance here to interact with the God of Moses. And I think the Pharaoh looked at it as a chance to control the God of Moses because that's what he already thought. I don't think that this it was an on-ramp to go down a new path, but he chose it he chose it to stay on the path he was on. He chose the highway he was already on. He could have said, end it now. But instead, he, he goes with tomorrow. Let's wait. Let's make it. Let's go one more day. Or, or you know, let's sleep. Let's sleep on it one more time. This, honestly, I'm sure the people were thrilled when they heard Pharaoh say that. They hear Moses, whoever was around. I'm sure it wasn't a one-on-one meeting. He gets Moses in there. I'm sure walking in, like you're squishing on frogs. They're loud. They're, they're everywhere. People, you know, I'm... <laughs> You figure out a way to kind of cover yourself with your clothes and then and then keep the frogs from crawling up your legs and keep the frogs from crawling up your arms, arm sleeves and crawling in your hood and into your... T- like, the, I'm sure that everybody's wrapped in stuff and got ropes tied around their ankles and ropes tied around their wrists and ropes around their neck. That's That could be dangerous, but they've got it all... They're trying to survive. This is this is a crazy plague. And Pharaoh yells at Moses, and Moses yells back, sure, I can end it whenever you want. I give you the honor. In other words, I'm going to give you the role of, of interacting with my God. You tell me when to pray, and I'll pray. And Pharaoh looks around and goes, tomorrow, I picture if I'm in the if I'm in the advisory board, I'm like rolling my eyes like, oh, you could have said now. You could have said now. Why did you say tomorrow? So God waited. This is what's beautiful, right? The Lord doesn't force his agenda on people. He works with people. He works within their realm and their spheres of influence and authority. And he says, I'll wait. The Lord literally is submitting to an ungodly Pharaoh who's telling him when to end a plague. Why would God do that? Because God sees this as an opportunity for Pharaoh to see that he had connection with an actual deity, a deity who can bring about good things, a deity who exposed 
the wrath of an idol that Pharaoh worships and of deity who has the power to shut it down, to shut down the wrath of that idol. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of good things that could have come from this. And Pharaoh chose none of them, but still, a lot could have, a lot could have. So, the fact that God doesn't want puppets also speaks to the fact that Moses waited until the next day. He didn't have to do that either. That's what's, that's another whole aspect that a lot of people miss. You say, well, Moses was only doing what God said because Moses is a man of God. Great. Moses still had a choice because God doesn't make puppets, even of his own people. Moses had a choice. He could have said, you know what? You say tomorrow, I say now. Watch me do this. Watch. I'm the one who's in control here, not you. I gave you a choice. You made a bad choice. Or he could have waited until tomorrow and went back into Pharaoh and said, I could have ended it today, but you know what? I don't think you've suffered enough. I'm not going to pray till next week. You get this whole thing for another week. Have fun with that. See you later, frogman. Go worship your gods now. Like there's so many ways that Moses could have went. And honestly, a lot of those ways, I've seen a lot of men of God go that way. Where they turn the, into the arrogant ones. They turn into the one with the revelation from heaven that that they won't release the blessing of God until everyone behaves. They won't, you know, they they stand there and, and manipulate and control people's lives in the name of some sort of God-given right on their part. Listen, Moses didn't do that. He chose to honor Pharaoh. God supported that choice. He waited till the next day. He prayed. God came through. The frogs died. They pile up. They decompose. It says it's nasty. It's nasty. They piled them into heaps and the land reeked of them. And that word heaps is like, it's, uh, it's lots. It's, it's like, it's like, it probably honestly looked like snow piles. Like, I don't know, at the time of this recording, Buffalo just had a, a snowstorm, I think, of almost six feet of snow. And there's just piles everywhere. And that's what this, that's the kind of word that this is. It's just heaps of frogs at the end of every street. Like it would have been like snow plows, like people just shoveling them, pushing them, pushing them, pushing them, piling them, piling them. And then the sun is there and they're baking and baking and baking. And it's disgusting. And you got to remember, there's a there's an entire industry that makes money off of selling frogs to eat. So at some level, they're all like, this is gross. I'm never eating another frog the rest of my life. It's, it's kind of, kind of crazy, kind of funny, kind of crazy. So when all of this is done and Pharaoh gets relief and the people are getting back to work, he withdraws his offer. See, Pharaoh is hardening his heart or, or some versions would say strengthening his heart. And I think that's a, that's almost a better translation of the way that Pharaoh sees it. Like we see it as hardening. He sees it, I think, as strengthening because he sees this as a positive character trait. 
He sees this as an opportunity to truly be a leader, to stand up to some bully God who's trying to push him down. He's, he's not going to bend to this. As a matter of fact, he looks back and says, I told that God when to end this plague, and he obeyed me. I don't have to listen to this guy. And I think in doing so, he's an example of, shall we say, national pride, Egyptian pride of the motherland. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the Egyptians appreciate this. And it actually makes them hate the Hebrews even more. It's like they, they look at the Hebrews, they look at, at Moses and they say, why are you taking on our gods? Clearly, we're more powerful than you. Why are you doing this? Why are you making our lives miserable? Why don't you just submit? Why don't you just go back to work? And on the flip side, Moses is like, no, like I'm trying to show you what, what is happening. Our God has been protecting your nation from the things that your, your e evil idols want to do. It, it had to be, again, a very deep and intense spiritual battle going on in realms that we don't see in the natural. And it was playing out, I think, on the streets of, of Egypt. And then we get this short little thing on gnats. Uh, some call them fleas. Uh, I call them uh, lice. Or, sorry, lice. Some call them lice. I call them lice because that, to me, sounds nastier than gnats. But gnats are just as nasty. And you can do the study if you want. Uh, into those words and where they come from and 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 have fun with it. But the, but what I want to point out is, it says, verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff uh, and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats or lice. And they did this. And Aaron stretched out his hand and the staff, and he struck the dust of the ground. And the lice came on all the people and the animals. And the all the dust throughout the land of Egypt became lice. And when the magicians tried to produce the lice by their own secret arts, they could not. And since the gnats or the lice were on the people and the animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord said. Now this plague evidently doesn't, there's no warning. Now maybe there, maybe there was. Some say that the language of the of the or the rhythm of the language would indicate that there was always a warning and always a dismissal. Like there was, there was a meeting at the beginning and a meeting at the end of every plague. Fine. That's fine. But generally speaking, just looking at these verses here, there was no warning. They wake up and the, the dust had turned to lights, which means everywhere, everything was covered. And the magicians could not replicate this. Interestingly, you know, it shows that even in as powerful as they were, clearly these guys were powerful. There was limits to their access of knowledge and how to work with their evil forces and the frequencies of creation. They were limited, which is always the case when it comes to the enemy. He is limited. He can't do it all. So the magicians who couldn't replicate this particular uh, plague, they go to Pharaoh and say, this is the finger of God. And, and what they mean is, now I, 
I always thought that was like this big admission, like this is the finger of God, because I always thought back to the story of Nebuchadnezzar and the finger of God coming down, writing on the wall, and I always saw this as this huge, massive hand of God, right? So this finger of God to me was always a big thing. But in, the, in my studies here, it's actually an insult. What they mean is it's a very small thing. It's very like dismissive of the Hebrew God, Elohim. They didn't even use the name for the God that Moses worships. Like they didn't say this is the finger of Elohim or, or Yahweh. They said this is the finger of God. This is, the, it, was, it, was, it was actually, a, uh, yeah, it was actually a, 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 a nasty way of saying things. They're trying to let the Pharaoh know, listen, it's not a big deal. We can't do it, but trust us, this God is not that powerful. So Pharaoh's heart was, was hard, and he still wouldn't listen. Why? Because Pharaoh is liking this opportunity. He's liking the opportunities that, that this God keeps giving him to be stronger than the God who's coming up against him. He doesn't look at this, at this now as, I'm understanding that this God is very powerful. He's now strengthening his heart to say, I can, I can stand up to this guy. I can stand up, and when I can't stand up, I can control him. Now, I don't know what the story of the, of the gnats, lice, you know, we don't get the beginning or the end of it. Some think it was just a one-day uh, plague that, that the lice came, it was a horrible day for everybody, and then it, and then the, it exposed the limit of the magicians. And that's all God was trying to do was, again, bring his light to a dark place. Pharaoh thought his magicians were all-powerful, or at least had access to it. And really what he was saying was, you don't. I'm just letting you know. I'm showing you. You can't. You, you're, you're magicians. You're, you're magicians, wise men, and starts with an S. Starts with an S. Spiritualists, Septuagints. Oh, I can't believe I forgot that word. They're not as powerful as they think. Therefore, you are not as powerful as you think. And that's all I'm trying to show you. And he did that. And he could have done that in a day. But Pharaoh continued to harden his heart because he was like, I can stand up to this guy. And that makes me more powerful in the sight of my people. Because I'm standing up in, you know, in their place. I am representing our, my people. I am a God in my people's eyes. And if I bow, then they think, you know, I'm weak and that they are weak. And I'm not going to do that to the national pride of the Egyptians. It's going to get more complicated the more the plagues come. And I think it's, it's you know, it's uh, it's the nature of, of the beast. It's the nature of evil. It's the nature of pride. It doesn't like to back down, and it even even though it knows while it's not backing down, it's eating itself. It's kind of like that snake that eats itself. Like it, it's, it knows what it's doing is horrible, and and it needs to stop, but it can't stop. And this is the cycle that Pharaoh is in, and we're gonna end it there. Thanks so much for hanging out. I will see you again next week when we go into round four with the Pharaoh. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts.
Well, there you go. What an amazing story, don't you think? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, the 12 plagues of Egypt, have, uh, whether you call them, I mean, they've just been around. They're, they're in legends. They're in, obviously, in the Bible. Uh, but it's kind of like the stories of the flood. Like so many cultures have references to this. And I do understand that those who don't have faith that the Bible is true, uh, you know, they approach it and say, see, you know, the Bible's just borrowing from all these other sources and coming up with their own version. And I do understand that if you don't want the Bible to be true, you, you'll find evidence for it not to be true. So that would, <clears throat> you'll have to listen to us, some other guys' podcasts if you don't believe the Bible's true and you, you, you want that perspective. I do believe the Bible's true. Uh, as I stated a few times in this, in this whole three seasons or whatever, uh, I don't think it's inerrant. I don't think what we read as the Bible is inerrant, but I do believe it's inspired. And, um, that's why we go after these things that seem very inconsistent, inconsistent in the character of God from the character of Jesus to the God of the Old Testament. It's like, okay, why is the God of the Old Testament so, looks so different? than Jesus does. And I think we uh, we try to hit that head on and we roll with it. Now, one of those things I do understand for some, you're looking at this thing, listen, if God is lifting his protection over the nation of Egypt to expose the true intent of the gods and the demons that back up those gods uh, that Egypt worships, like, so he could have stopped the plagues. And and uh, that's the same as saying that God actually, you know, caused all these plagues. Uh, yeah, I mean, perspective is really important, I think, here. I think in the exposure of, of the gods, the plagues come. And I think what he's, what again, what he's trying to show is that, listen, my presence, the, my presence amongst my people who worship me, that's what's been protecting the nation from the true intent of all of these gods that you worship. You think you control them, but they don't. They all want to bring destruction and death to this nation. I'm keeping that from happening. And this opportunity that Pharaoh had to interact with God to control the end of one of the plagues was really an invitation of relationship between Yahweh and Pharaoh. It was an invitation and Pharaoh had, uh, you know, he had his choice. And his choice was, I'm going to control God. That was his that was his perspective. He didn't look at it like, oh, okay, this God, who clearly has had a much bigger role in my nation than I ever knew before. I can choose to interact with him. And I think it would have impacted his his approach and interaction with the next plague, the lice. Had he chosen relationship, he would have had the opportunity to sit back and and see the exposure of the lice god, and he could have went to God. Like, God, God is never a one, you know, I give you one chance to have a relationship with me, and if you reject me, I'll reject you. It was, he's always inviting people into relationship. Always. So I think it's, 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 it, yeah, obviously, I think it's significant 
that God gave him this opportunity and that he chose to uh, be more arrogant through it. Which, right, how many times has that happened? How many times has, has God brought a blessing into someone's life and they've taken full credit for it? <laughs> I mean, I literally know pastors who have had success in their churches because of the favor and love of God, and yet they look at that success and they say, look at what I've done, look at my legacy. Or they want to, quote, protect their legacy. Let's protect the legacy of pastor whoever. We we can't, you know, we, we can't let certain things happen because of the legacy that, that we want to leave behind. Because it's, it's just, when they take the favor and blessing of God and turn it into a source of arrogance and pride. And you don't have to be a pastor to do this. You can be anybody. You can be anybody. You can be a businessman, you know, and I've met many successful businessmen, and some of them really believe that it's their fault that they're so awesome. And then they thank God for it. You know, it's, it's kind of like, <laughs> they kind of flip it a little bit, right? Anyways, I just I just don't want you to pile on Pharaoh. I think I think lots of preachers pile on Pharaoh because he's an easy target because he uh he oozes moral and behavioral behavior behavioral uh manipulation. And it gives those preachers a chance to say, see, don't do this, do this because thank God will be happy with you. And I just think God was like, Listen, Pharaoh I'm willing to talk with you. I'm willing to interact with you. And I'm willing to, you know, bring favor upon you. And uh, Pharaoh, like many of us, just ends up going, yeah, well, thanks. I know the only reason why you're saying that is because I'm just that much more powerful than you are. And uh, you're trying to, you know, negotiate a better role for yourself or something. I, it's It's crazy. It's crazy but true. And those are my thoughts today. I do hope you guys have a fabulous uh, rest of your day, whenever it is you listen. And uh, I look forward to hanging out with you next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.